it's still very early days in the conservative leadership race, but already the story has become who's not in, in fact, who's out. Jean Charest, Rana Ambrose, and just tonight, Pierre Poiliev. So for the latest on the twists and turns of this leadership race in its early days, uh, let's go to our at issue panel. Chantal Hébert is in Montreal, of course. Andrew Coyne is in Toronto. And Althea Raj is here with me in Ottawa. Good to see you all. Um, I was trying to talk about something else this week, but failed because the conservatives have decided to make their leadership race uh, very interesting in the early days, but sort of interesting because of who has decided not to get in. So so I guess let's start with this latest one, Pierre Poiliev, who we believed was, was ready to announce um, this coming Sunday and put out this Facebook statement saying that uh, he was not. What, what should we make of this? Uh, I'll start with Andrew. Uh, it's difficult to know what to make of it. He was apparently on the verge of announcing. He had hired staff. He'd mapped out a campaign plan, uh, and then suddenly you decide that you uh, have a one-year-old child and you'd like to spend more time with your family. Um, you know, you don't want to take somebody, not take them at their word, but it's extremely hard to believe. Well, it, it's also a little curious because of all the interviews that he had given, particularly where you are, Chantal, in Quebec over the past week or so, where he had performed very well and people were saying that he had a good chance to pick up support in Quebec. So I, I guess I'm still left with more questions for Mr. Poiliev. Well, uh, yes, uh, but uh, saying he had go a good chance to pick up support in Quebec was contingent, I guess, on a number of conditions. Um, uh, and one of those was that uh, he would fa face a split opposition, uh, Jean Charest and mm. Peter McKay splitting up uh, the kind of progressive conservative vote, etc., etc. I can't read into uh, his motives for not running, no. but yeah. it is not the first time that I see a candidate decide on the eve of announcing uh, to, pull, to pull back. It does yeah. happen. So I, I'm not making a big deal out of it, but I mm -hmm. do note that uh, Peter McKay had a good week this week, but I'm not sure that the Conservative Party is having the greatest week. Well, I think that's an awfully good point. And, and Althea, when you talk to conservatives, they're sort of perplexed as to how this is already unfolding. A lot of people who I would say are on the more like right side of the conservative party are uh, feeling a little bit disappointed because it doesn't look like they are going to have a candidate that reflects them, the kind of Stephen Harper continuity. And I, I feel like we're this is like a a discussion of different shades of conservatism, right? Like, yeah, I, I yeah. actually don't think Peter McKay is perhaps as progressive conservative as people think, you know, when they, like, he's not a, a Joe Clark PCer, of course. Um, but there are certainly some people in the party who are not huge Peter McKay fans and who were looking forward uh, to backing somebody like Pierre Poiliev. Um, and now they are not going to have that opportunity. Aaron O'Toole um, is kind of maybe a bit more on the Pierre Poiliev side. He's uh, hasn't formally announced, but um, seems like he might be. But, you know, again, this week we have learned <laughs> not to put too much stock in what people, you know, even if people have campaign teams, yeah. like Monsieur Charest, who seems to have suddenly realized after looking at the math that um, the party doesn't reflect the, his values or um, and you know, selling 100,000 memberships in two months seemed to be a pretty large uh, task. So, um, 
So what, what, what does that tell us then about, about what's going on uh, inside the party, Andrew? Does it, tell, does it tell us anything? I mean, I think it certainly gets us wondering. <laughs> certain, so what, what does it tell you or suggest to you? Well, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. We don't know what any of these people really stand for. Even after uh, Peter McKay's years in public life and Aaron O'Toole's years in public life, we don't know a great deal about what they stand for. The, you know, some of us were hoping that this leadership race would be an opportunity for the party to really debate its future direction and to mm. hash, hash through some really fundamental questions about what it stands for, what kind of mix of policies. Mm -hmm. If, as it is now appearing, it's going to be some sort of Peter McKay coronation, that sort of rather short circuits that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a, it's a real missed opportunity, not an entirely surprising one, because that's often how these leadership races work out, is whoever has the most guns lined up at the first scares off some of the other candidates. Right. Um, the rules have, of course, been set in ways to keep certain types of candidates out. And so instead of that kind of robust exchange of views, um, it, it becomes a popularity contest. But, but isn't that the worst thing that could happen here, Chantal, is that the Conservative Party doesn't take the time to talk about what Andrew's talking about, what Althea's talking about, the shades of grey inside the Conservative Party? If it, if it doesn't do that, I, what, you know, where does that leave it in a general election? I'm not sure that it was uh, that the Conservative Party was ready to do that under just about any scenario. I think that uh, the party for that to happen, and I'm not saying they would have bought a very different vision, would have needed a candidate of stature uh, to force that discussion upon the party. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that's going to happen. But I think the, the <laughs> biggest problem at this point is that if Peter McKay, for instance, is going to become leader, it would be healthier for the party and for Peter McKay that someone strong kick the tires sure, uh, yeah. under his leadership bid. And if that is not going to happen, I think it's the party's loss uh, and it's his loss too. It could still happen, though, Althea. I mean, there's, there's still plenty of time for people to emerge, there. I suppose. But, but if, if there's not a real race, I, I, I would tend to agree with Chantal. I'm not sure where that leaves Peter McKay. Well, there's a month, and the yes. way the rules are set, the possibility of something, somebody coming out of left field uh, with, who really believes they have a shot of winning this is very, very slim. What's interesting about this contest is that usually people, you know, they put their name in the contest and then they kind of like back out after a while. So they have, they use the, the platform the leadership race provides them to put forward their ideas. You can think of like Marc Garneau or Martha Hall Finley during the leadership race that Justin Trudeau basically was coronated at. I mean, there was, um, Joyce Murray was, I think, left, that's it, at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't have a robust debate of ideas, for sure. But the rethink seems to, maybe we'll only just be talking about gay marriage and abortion, yeah, and, yeah. and that's it, because the only contestants coming out seem to be uh, on that side of the party. Chantal, yeah. I, I don't think, uh, for the Conservatives, it would be a nightmare if the yes. campaign mostly revolved around uh, fending off the idea that it uh, is a party that is open to going back to the mm -hmm. era prior to same-sex marriage and reopening all those debates. And I believe that uh, uh, were a, a, a French candidate to rise out of uh, some mess and become leader, a uh, large section of the caucus would not serve under such a, a, yeah, a yeah. candidate. But the, the fact that, that, that so many people who seemed uh, viable, uh, at least on the surface, including Ron Ambrose, Andrew, ha have decided not to do it, does, does it make us think that the Conservative Party is, I don't know, that, that, it, that it can't get where it needs to go in time for the next election? Or what, I mean, how should I interpret that? <laughs> 
No, I mean, I, they are. They came out of that last election in relatively good shape. That may yes, be yeah. part of the problem in terms of not being willing to go undergo the kind of really real rethink you yeah. do when you when you've really been beaten badly. Sure. Um, you know, Peter McKay fought long and hard to preserve this uh, equal weighted ridings um, system of, of electing leaders through over many years, uh, and it may be paying dividends for him that <laughs> that. Uh, you know, if it was just one person, one vote, he might not be quite so formidable a candidate. I don't think he'd win a lot of votes in the West among kind of rock-ribbed conservatives in the West, but he can do very well in Eastern Canada, and that may be what's scaring off some other candidates. Just one last go around. I mean, I, I, we, know, we know that, that Stephen Harper is watching things closely. How closely, I think, is a, is a matter of debate. But I, I wonder what in the world he's thinking. Uh, it, you know, as he watches these people, some that he would have probably been okay being leader and some not so much. Um, <laughs> Althea, you don't have to go into Stephen Harper's brain, but I, I just, I, well, that, occur, that occurs to me, like, what, what could he be thinking right now? I'm told that the two actually were quite close um, and that that might surprise some people to hear, but that they did actually hang out together in the Ottawa. Two, the, who are the two you're talking about here? Stephen Harper and Peter McKay. Um, okay. And that, uh, you know, when Mr. McKay, uh, Mr. Harper chose to go uh, to Mr. McKay's writing when Mr. McKay announced that he was leaving, that that was something that Mr. Harper felt was important to mm. him to do to show his support, that he didn't yeah. um, do it for you know political reasons, but he did it for friendship reasons. Um, and so I don't think Mr. Harper uh, would feel badly about having Mr. McKay win this leadership. Chantal, you look like you want to say something. <laughs> well, I, you know, if you look at social media tonight, it's full of uh, Stephen Harper is coming back uh, kind of, of stories, which yes. I don't think are based on anything uh, that is factual. But uh, I do believe the two of them have worked uh, together in the past. Peter McKay did not oppose Stephen Harper when he wanted to lead mm -hmm. the reunited Conservative Party and gave up his leadership. So there, there are IOUs in there somewhere yes, that could go sure. a long way to unite the party behind McKay. I think Stephen Harper has to wear some of the weakness of the Tory bench, though. They were in power for 10 years. That was an opportunity for him to build up cabinet ministers, potential successors. Uh, conservative parties always have that um, um, disadvantage relative to the liberals because the liberals are so often in power that it's very easy for them to recruit top flight talent. Conservatives are always at a disadvantage. But when they're in power, I think Harper could have done a better job of recruiting uh, high profile, talented people to his side. And I think that is partly what we're seeing in, in both in this race in 2017. Okay, I'll leave it there, everybody. Thank you. We'll, we'll try and talk about a different topic next week, but who knows? The Conservatives are keeping life interesting, <laughs> so that's okay with me. Thank you all. And before we go, be sure to subscribe to At Issue, the podcast for extra content. This week, we're looking ahead to the return of Parliament and what it means for this minority government. Look for it on any major podcast app, our website, cbcnews.ca slash the national.